How are music therapists changing the lives of people in Canada? What is the latest research and trends? You are tuned into the Canadian Music Therapy Podcast, and we will explore these questions with our guests today. Let's get started. Welcome to the Canadian Music Therapy Podcast. We are your hosts, Adrian and Kathy. On today's show, we're speaking with Priya Shaw about her journey as a music therapist and her learning in the field of mental health. She also tells us more about the impact of music therapy on clients with mental health issues, gestalt training, along with her vision as a music therapist. And here's a little more about Priya. Priya Shaw is a certified music therapist, registered psychotherapist, and adjunct professor at Wilfrid Laurier University. She currently works in adult inpatient mental health and addictions at Homewood Health Center and in private practice, and is completing additional training in gestalt psychotherapy. Welcome to the podcast, Priya. We're excited to have you join us from Guelph, Ontario. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. So can you tell us a little bit about your origin story as a music therapist? I've really enjoyed hearing uh, a few of the other podcasts and how everyone came to become a music therapist. And I think everyone's journey is really unique and there is also some overlap. Um, But I'll start by saying that when I was a toddler, my first two favorite songs to belt at the top of my lungs were Will You Be There by Michael Jackson from the movie soundtrack Free Willy and the song um, Juma Chuma Dede from the Bollywood movie Hum and it translates to Kiss Me on Sunday. So I'm not exactly sure why those two were my favorite songs, but they were. And I would continue to press play over and over again on the stereo until I think I broke the machine, perhaps. (laughs) Um, But so I've always loved to sing and singing was my, I think, first love when it comes to music. I sang in choir growing up um, from age six up till high school. Um, I later learned some guitar. I traded some babysitting for some guitar lessons from the person across the street. So I babysat his daughter and got some guitar lessons. Um, And then when it comes to piano, I feel like I picked it up in my uh, early undergrad. So I never had lessons growing up, but I did do a Bachelor of Music and um, then got interested in piano. Um, But besides that, music has always been important in my family. I would say on both sides. I used to say like music was only a thing on my dad's side, but now reflecting back and having the attitude of a music therapist where everyone has inherent musicality and um, Mm -hmm. music somehow in their lives. I see music now more on my mom's side as well. And just in the way that she sang lullabies to us, um, she likes to sing budgeons, which means devotional songs um, with uh, with her mom, uh, or she did uh, with sing those with her mom. Um, and then on my dad's side, uh, my dad has never had any training, um, but he plays by ear. He's interested in guitar, sitar, he loves to sing. And so I've always been surrounded by a lot of Indian music and a lot of all other types of music. I went to a Sunday school, which was called Silpa, translating to School of Indian Languages and Performing Arts, where I did get a little bit of training in Indian classical voice, North Indian classical, and a little bit of sitar as well. And I didn't pursue that consistently, but I did get a chance to reconnect with Indian classical music in my undergrad. There was actually a ensemble of um, North Indian classical music that I got to be a part of. So although I feel like I'm definitely not an expert in in any form of um, Indian classical music, it's always been kind of a part of my life and something I'm grateful to have had access to. 
I have an older sibling who, you know, gave me a stereo and my first few CDs when I was 10 years old. I think a lot of people can attest to older siblings having an influence over their <laughs> musical knowledge <laughs> and um, repertoire from the early days. And in my undergrad, I actually had some exposure to improvisation. There was a class called Improvisation in Theory and Practice where we got a chance to uh, use our main instrument, and mine was voice, to improvise. And that was really the first time that I started to explore what it could look like to use my voice off the page. So not to follow like written music. Um, and I was mainly interested in jazz and musical theater um, and pop sort of at the time. Um, but to really experiment like with using my voice as an instrument and, and allowing it to sound ugly and messy, um, but still <laughs> feeling free freedom in that. Um, and so from that um, class, I actually started a group with a few other people, um, an improv group called The Electric Breeze, and we would just get together and jam and mix all sorts of music that didn't really make any sense, but felt really freeing to for us. Um, and so when I entered into the Master's of Music Therapy at Laurier, I had already a bit of background on improvisation, but now for the first time was learning how to improvise in relationship. So, um, or in, with intentional relationship with a with a client, let's say. And I began to develop more of a voice in improvising on the piano um, as and percussion and some other instruments, which I always felt a quite inadequate on the piano, to be honest, entering into the masters just because I'd had just minimal lessons up till that point. I remember for my audition, having um, gone to a friend and said, I, begging him like, please help me learn a grade six piano piece. I don't know if I can do it, but I need you to help me learn like the easiest piece in this book. And after several lessons, I kind of probably did memorize it <laughs> for the audition. Um, but I was able to get through it with a little bumps here and there. But over time, um, developing my voice, uh, I guess, on the piano, something that I had really low confidence in in my master's. Now, looking back, I just have, uh, can respect the time and the process that I needed to develop confidence and develop my voice. And I'm still not where I probably love to be. Um, but I, I also know that just any learning any instrument is such a learning curve. And there's so much room. And if I can use the same attitude towards myself that I use with my clients in terms of encouraging and supporting their development in music and expression, then, um, you know, I can be a little e easier on myself in terms of what that road will look like moving forward. I've also uh, been in a gestalt psychotherapy training program since uh, 2018 until now. So this is my last year and I didn't intend to do another five years of school. Definitely not. But what I had done was gone to a one year training program for professionals in gestalt. And at the end of that year, we had a residential where it was five days um, in a campground somewhere where we got a, had a lot of experiential exercises with our classmates but then um, as year ones we also were matched with a year four student and had three days of um, therapy sessions so not a full day of therapy but three mm. one and a half hour sessions with that fourth year student and after that experience I was like oh my gosh I really want to be able to do that because I I felt so pro like I felt it was such a profound opening and sh like sharing of my experience and I felt really seen and heard and there's a lot of like experiments in gestalt which kind of aligns 
nicely with music therapy and that moving through different experiences and then processing them and talking about them and um, kind of examining them. So I see a lot of parallels between music therapy and Gestalt. But that being said, all the way, all the distance that I've come now and having um, this training, but also just life experience, I feel has um, made me super grateful for the the path that I decided to go on. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, entering into a music program, I have my, my parents are um, immigrant parents. They moved to Canada in the early 80s. They they were born in Kenya, but they I, I am of Indian heritage. So my grandparents were born in India. And when I first, you know, said, I really want to go into music, there was a little bit of hesitancy as to, are you sure that you can, you know, get a job in this, uh, in this field or, and of course, over time, I would now to any music students say, of course, you can have multiple avenues and multiple opportunities if you decide to pursue music. And then, of course, later music therapy. But at the time, I had no idea. I just kind of trusted my gut that music, something in the realm of music was where I wanted to be. And I'm so grateful that I kind of stuck with it um, and have you know, worked through uh, some of those feelings of imposter syndrome or self-doubt along the way to now have a definitely more grounding and uh, uh, confidence in my voice as uh, a therapist and identity as a therapist. So Amazing. I love that. What a great story. And I love that you shared all these aspects of your journey from different perspectives. Can you tell us more about what you've learned from working as a music therapist and psychotherapist uh, in the field of mental health specifically? So my first I guess foray into mental health um, was actually my first internship was here where I'm currently located at Homewood Health Center, an adult inpatient mental health facility. Um, And my second internship was at Princess Margaret Cancer Center. So I was under first at Homewood under the supervision of Elizabeth Mitchell and then under the supervision of Sarah Rose Black. And um, I am completely indebted to both of them for the support they provided and the experiences I I got to have at both of those places. Um, Following that, I had a few contracts in Toronto, working in hospice, community mental health, long-term care, um, and now have been here since 2020. And the first thing that really has stuck with me from this time working in mental health and in other settings um, is that mental health is important in every single aspect of our lives. And this might sound like a really biased response being someone who works in mental health, but it's become more and more clear that um, although I definitely have a, you know, um, a role as a clinician or as a music therapist and psychotherapist in this facility, like I cannot separate this work from my own mental health and that of my loved ones and that of my friends and people in my life. I think I've developed like a lot more compassion um, for myself and also for others from seeing um, what people are dealing with and what they're working on and addressing here in, in treatment, which is just, you know, one aspect of mental health uh, recovery and wellness. But I think I often use and and tell clients this and for myself use music as a way to check my pulse and check Mm -hmm. my mental health and so whether that's um you know being drawn to a certain song to listen to or whether it's playing or improvising um 
I use that as a way to see like how I'm feeling and to honor that feeling as well. Because with mental health, there's such a spectrum uh, of, you know, experiences and um, day to day, there's a lot of changes as well. Um, I feel like I can, music can help me to yeah, honor and validate wherever I'm at, wherever my clients are at, and also helps me to to understand and value the importance of my own therapy. So kind of before, when I was a student in undergrad and um, in my master's, I did seek out support from the student clinics, um, but that was often for brief therapy, I would say. And until I entered the Gestalt um, training program, where it was actually a requirement for us to have a certain number of hours of personal therapy to um, proceed year to year, I didn't ever fully understand the value of like a longer term therapeutic relationship, which sounds funny as a therapist, but I now value that. And that translates to my work with clients is in respecting each in every person's process um, and that mine of of my process of looking and examining something might look completely different from somebody else's and that it's okay to move slowly it's okay to pause as i'm speaking very fast um it's okay to pause it's okay to spend some time on something that feels hard or feels difficult and the main difference i see in that from when i was a student and starting music therapist is i often felt burdened by the um, limited time i felt i had with patients or with clients feeling that i had to pack in as much as i possibly could in a session to make them see or experience or like the value of music therapy, to put it bluntly. Um, and now I realize that I'm perhaps their relationship with me, their time with me is just a small piece of the overarching story trajectory of their lives. And that even if we just do one thing or a couple of things, or not even do, but even if we're just together in whatever they're coming in with, that in itself can contribute a lot. That kind of ties into Another, uh, the second thing that I has stood out to me in working with mental health is that to be with my clients is the most important thing I can do. And that sounds pretty simple in terms of, of course, if they're in, if we're both in the room together, um, we're of course together. But what I mean more so is the idea of like being with myself in my body <laughs> while I'm with them <laughs> while I'm with the other person. So being present in my body, um, sharing my impact, because sometimes a client might say something or share something that really hits me and I feel a visceral uh, response or reaction in my body. And to really not necessarily saying like, wow, I felt so uh, overwhelmed just now when you said that, but sharing just maybe the physical sensation or the phenomenological so that they know that they're, what they're saying has an impact on me. And by me sharing the impact, they know that they matter um, in this moment together. Yeah, and one of the things that kind of tying into this is one of the Gestalt faculty once said to our class is that therapy is revolutionary. And I can see that more and more because in therapy and music therapy, um, we're sometimes breaking uh, the silence about certain things that might come up. And I feel the more that we can talk or express even certain feelings, um, the more we can address certain things that might have shame um, attached to them, the, the more um, 
we can kind of reduce the shame <laughs> is what I mean to say. Um, so shame does not live where we can talk about it or where we can uh, examine it even without judgment and just with curiosity. Um, and then the very last thing that I would say really is sticking out to me now more than ever is that my clients are my teachers. So again, another thing coming into the field um, after um, the training is that I felt sometimes some pressure that I need to know enough to be able to address every single um, clinical scenario or every single situation or every single challenge that someone brings to me in therapy. And if I don't know how to address it, then that must mean like I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> but now I, I know that my, my biggest learning comes in practice. So from being with my clients and um, uh, for them inviting me into their worlds, for sharing parts of themselves with me, for sharing their music. And so I can take pieces of that from all the work that's happening and add that to my pool of knowledge. And so it's never ending. It continues to, to grow. And um, yeah, it, it's added to kind of to feel a sense of humility as well that I don't have to have all the answers. And sometimes it's good to admit when I don't so that I'm not stepping on my own toes trying to, you know, reach a, an invisible, you know, end point or something like that. I'd say those are the biggest things that uh, are sticking with me right now from working in mental health for the past few years. And such important learning. I love the way that you've shared all of this, Priya. And there's a way that you um, you make something sound simple that is very complex. And our clients are our teachers. We are not the expert, all-knowing as therapists, but to come to know that to be true is is something you learn and through through your practice. And I love the, how you said I use music to take the pulse. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love that. Um, now I know that you also um, have roles as a supervisor, as an adjunct professor, and as a researcher. And so we'd love to hear about what you value in that part of your work. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for the question. Um, so the I'll start with the professor part because that's the newest role I would say I have. So I've had the honor to teach one course so far at Laurier called Music Psychotherapy, Diversity and Social Justice. And the one coming up this term is called Developing Clinical Music Psychotherapy Skills in Verbal Counseling. And so again, coming back to the, I definitely don't feel like I'm an expert in either of these topics, but what I have loved uh, from the first course I taught so far is working with bright minds and being challenged to think beyond what I think I know. Mm. Coming into it, I have my own, I have developed my own, um, you know, values and beliefs um, and ideas related to this broad, broad topic of diversity and social justice, but being able to hear the lived experiences and um, opinions and ideas of the students in the class has already broadened my scope of this topic. 
one thing I really loved or have loved so far about teaching is the going into the discomfort with students talking about certain topics in this last course about, you know, intersectionality, the ways we're different in terms of race, gender, class, religion, age, etc. But going into that discomfort with courage and vulnerability. As we know, like the last few years, more and more discussions have been happening about these uncomfortable topics. And so I think that helps with the bravery and with the courage but it still is uncomfortable and so I ask my students to pay attention to their you know coming back to the kind of a gestalt idea of the physical sensations that accompany talking about these difficult topics and using that as information so it doesn't mean to necessarily like stop but it's like how can you breathe through that discomfort how can you support yourself in it so that we can keep continue the dialogue or continue the exploration um, and one of the things especially that I've again taken away from from this first course especially is that the reminder that each of us each therapist and each client has a cultural identity so that can help us to prevent or to reduce the chance of othering our clients, knowing that we ourselves come into the relationship with a complex identity um, and cultural identity. Um, we can bring ourselves then authentically to the relationship. Um, and yeah, I think as a student, that was that was a lot of I had coming terms, coming terms to my own aspects of my own identity. Um, and of course, that's still, you know, in, in change and in flux, it's still in development. But I think um, to have those conversations to ask us, ask ourselves those questions, and then we can ex explore what we may have in common with our clients, what are our differences, how can we embrace those differences, and address them as they come up or in therapy, um, if they do. Similarly, in terms of being a supervisor, I've uh, only been an official supervisor since May 2022, but since starting here, I have had the chance to work alongside students when they've been here to complete internships and they've had on-site supervisors. And I love the teamwork aspect. I love co-facilitating groups because it uh, allows for a lot, yeah, just the collaboration and a lot more exploration and being able to lean on someone else's strengths. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, it, the, the chance to debrief after groups and individual sessions. Um, one of the, my favorite parts is to witness students' growth. So same as teaching, to witness their growth over a semester or over um, a summer, um, just to see it reminds me of my own journey and allows me to have more empathy and respect for the time of this unraveling and digging that they're doing constantly um, into their selves and their own identities as therapists. And um, it reminds, yeah, I remember in my first internship, I was uh, actually terrified to play the piano um, ever for a group improvisation. And I was like, no, there's no way I could support an entire group of people playing instruments and me on the piano. And it wasn't until I think the last week or two that I summed up the nerve to with the support of my, um, you know, the other student and supervisor to play the piano during a group improvisation. And I don't think I did a great job. And probably I, I started off in one direction and then I went completely somewhere else. But um, looking back, seeing as that how that was uh, about five, six years ago, I now appreciate, again, the time I needed to develop comfort and in my own skin as a therapist. And so I encourage students to know that 
whatever they're facing right now in their internship, um, all these uncomfortable little pieces, like it's very possible that this might persist for a while um, until they, you know, have more time and just more exposure. So, um, yeah. And then in the last piece, just about the researcher, um, I've had one research study published in Approaches, which was actually uh, about group music therapy with eating disorders that was done while I was a student here. Uh, so that was a while ago. And I have another um, self or reflections on practice article coming out in the Canadian Journal of Music Therapy um, about experiences of imposter syndrome as an oh, wow. music therapist. So yeah, I spent a lot of time a, a couple of years ago, year and a half ago, reflecting on what, why imposter syndrome kept coming up again and again, and how it related to earlier experiences in my life, as well as the whole identity as a musician overlapping with identity as a music therapist, um, and how there's, yeah, so that one will be coming out. Um, and hopes for the future include just possibly single session studies mm. on impacts or um, outcomes of music therapy because in this setting right now in patient mental health I do have a lot of um, groups where I see people once and so and there can be a lot of profound experiences just in that one session um, but I would love to just yeah be able to somehow document or highlight what the the unpredictability and like the um, the range of possibilities of what could happen in that hour um, as well as potentially looking at music therapy and trauma processing through songwriting mm. that's been something that's been happening a lot more recently more in individual sessions and again in this setting i'm definitely I'm, I'm not anyone's prime therapist so people do receive um or they do work with uh, sometimes a trauma therapist, sometimes a social worker, as well as attending group therapy of cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavior therapy and that sort of thing. So I definitely feel um, in contrast to private practice that I'm not the prime therapist, but I do feel that my work accompanies like their overall goals. And sometimes because it's a little bit outside of their the main work that they're here to to work through and process, um, there's sometimes feels like I have a lot more freedom in what I can do with clients um, because it doesn't need to be as regimented as some of their other work and their groups. Um, so it means that there's a lot more room for flexibility and adaptability and uh, and working in the moment, which is really what I love the most. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's that's Oh, for now. <laughs> wow, Priya, you have done so much in the first five years of your professional career and your contributions to research and future contributions. Oh, I look forward to reading your article about imposter syndrome. Lots of people talk about this, but to have some some literature is really important. And then your plans as well. You're highlighting areas where we need to have research. In the last minute that we have together, we'd love to hear what are your hopes and dreams as a music therapist and beyond? I love the beyond part because I think something when becoming a music therapist, and this might be something a lot of us can relate to, um, it becomes because it's such a relatively still small profession growing, of course, it 
it did become for me such a prime aspect of my identity when I began to work as a music therapist. And I sometimes forgot the other parts of who I was. And so I think for me um, as a music therapist and beyond is I'd love to um, hold on to my role as a music therapist, but allow it to blend into all the other parts of my life. So I'd love to be a music enabler. Um, everywhere I go, which just means supporting and encouraging and providing tools for people to engage in music however they want, whenever they want. Um, if it's with me, great. If it's in the context of music therapy or groups or individual sessions, that's wonderful. And I would love to enable it in all other places as well. <laughs> um, and for myself, I would love to continue to take risks in music, to push myself outside of my comfort zone. Um, I write a lot of songs, but I don't always release them um, in a timely fashion. <laughs> or <laughs> I have a lot of still um, sometimes perfectionism or uh, self-doubt accompanying my own musical creation. So I'd love to, again, use the um, attitude and use the approach towards my clients of encouraging and supporting music creation um, and sharing towards myself and put more of my music out into the world. Um, and then lastly, something completely unrelated to music is I would love to learn how to sail and one day sail in the Mediterranean. <laughs> I can picture you there. <laughs> yeah. It's been a long time dream, but it just it hasn't happened yet. But it's definitely one of those things like um, I'm not a great swimmer either. So if I um, up my swimming skills and then learn how to sail, then maybe one day I'll be out and on the water some somewhere. Yeah, well, and you spoke about the freedom that music, that feeling of freedom and improvisation that music has given you and sailing on the Mediterranean sounds fairly parallel to me. What a beautiful dream. Yeah. Uh, we are so grateful to have had you here to share about your journey and all of your contributions so far and your important work in mental health and has and and everything that you've shared today, Priya. We we're so grateful to you for being with us. Thank you so much. It's been it's been wonderful to share this with you. And I think like many of us, we love talking about music therapy so I could talk about it anytime. <laughs> and, and to close, I love your um, your term music enabler, enabling music in every way possible. Thank you for joining us on the Canadian Music Therapy Podcast. To learn more about resources from the show, please visit beyondthestudio.ca. Thanks for listening.